I just learned really quickly. I learned the shots. I could watch it on TV and I could play it. I've always enjoyed being the target, being the guy that everyone wants to beat. I, I mean, I loved being the best player in the world. We've got one of these rare beasts in today. Someone that arguably would say is the goat of his sport. Yeah, I remember loads of shots that, that have cost me t titles more than ones that I've won. That stayed with me more, and that was more an in intense and emotion. Did your father play? No. Well, right. he did, but he was useless. <laughs> he could put two balls in a row, mate, as a 13-year-old. My dad was telling everyone who would listen that I was going to be world champion. Every shot's like a pint of blood. I hate having to try hard at this game. I never used to have to try hard. This is up front with me, Simon Jordan. I believe there are a lot of vacuous, uninformed, unchallenged opinions out there. I want to get to the bottom line and cut through the nonsense. So with this podcast with William Hill, I'm going to get people with strong views who think they can stand them up to proper scrutiny. There's a good chance I might learn something along the way. And more importantly, so might you. In today's episode, I'm joined by possibly the greatest ever exponent of his sport, one that's embedded in the culture of the United Kingdom, snooker. His was a 27-year journey from teenage star to the youngest ever world champion. He dominated snooker for virtually an entire decade, world number one for eight consecutive seasons, and winning a record number of world titles in the modern era. Simply put, a legend and the king of the crucible. Stephen Hendry, welcome to Upfront. Thank you very much. We've got one of these rare beasts in today, ladies and gentlemen. We've got someone that arguably would say is the goat or one of the goats of his sport. Mm. We've had some very interesting people come in over the last 18, 19 episodes, but very rarely do we get a goat. The goat now is, is, is debatable, obviously, with what Ronnie has done in the game. He's equaled my yeah. seven world titles. He's taken over pretty much all of my records because obviously he's still playing uh, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he has taken the game to a new level. So, yeah, I'm one of one the, of the goats. One of, one of the yeah. goats. I t Tiger Woods, um, I heard an interview one time and um, they were talking about whether he was the goat or Jack Nicholas. Mm. And he said, as long as I'm in the conversation, then yeah. I've done something. So I, that's how I feel. Well, it's one of those sort of bullshitty titles, isn't it? But it's not a bad one to have, is it? If you're going to be included in the conversation as one of the goats. Exactly. If you're I'll in the conversation, it. you've done something yeah, well. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we do, Stephen, is try to ascertain, I suppose the best way of, of, of expressing it is, what is someone's why? What made them um, achieve the things that they have? What made them manifest all the outcomes that they have? So looking at you, Stephen Hendry, the snooker player, starting or getting his first snooker table at 12 and winning the world championship and being the top player in nine years is a remarkable ascent, but it comes from a position of somewhere. What was it What, what was it that drew you to snooker in the first place? I hadn't played it before I got the, the, the small table for Christmas. Right. Uh, I'd been out um, with my mum uh, in Dunfermline. My dad had fruit shops, so one of them was in Dunfermline. Um, I think they were sort of struggling for what to get me for Christmas. Um, and my mum kind of said, well, what do you think about that kind of thing? So I said, yeah, fine, fine. I'm, um, and, and and I got the I got the table from a Christmas and basically just every other present or that was on the floor just I just forgot about it. I just I just played played and played and I found it that I could just get into the position of playing I didn't you know you watch people who can't play snooker you try and get their hand into the position of a bridge um, and they just can't do it for whatever right. I mean it's to me I think how can you not put your fingers on a table raise your knuckles and make a bridge hand but if you can't do it you can't do it uh, I could do it I just put my hand on the table and 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 and, and I could play um within two or three weeks I was making sort of 40 50 breaks right. um but the talent came from um my father's father was a brilliant player he died before right. I was born okay um so I never got to meet him or, or obviously see him play he was like 
pretty much professional standard. Did your Scotland. father play? No. Well, he right. did, but he was useless. <laughs> he could put two balls in a row. Mate. Thanks, Ted. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he, 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 he couldn't play. So it kind of skipped a generation. Right. So I was just having great fun, you know, beating my dad, beating my brother, beating my uncles. Um, and it was like kind of cool to be in the band, to be better at people at something. But it's remarkable, Stephen. I mean, you're, you're picking up a cue. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is right. You're picking up a cue for the first time at 12. Two, three weeks before my 13th birthday. I was right. 13 in January, yeah. Right, so even more remarkable because two years later, you're winning Scottish Amateur Championships, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, turning pro at 16, yeah. yeah. which is remarkable. Mm. What is the application and the determination and the actual dedication that's required to get to these levels as quickly as you got to? I learned everything um, from watching the players on TV. Once, once right. I started playing on the small table, I started watching on TV, getting interested in it. Um, so I basically would watch TV or, or record on a VHS or beta mat or whatever it was in the day <laughs> and um, and watch the shots back and then go to my small table and try and copy them. You couldn't do because the way the balls react on a small taste and it's not the same. Um, so my dad would start taking me up once a week to the local snooker club, which was a real old, there wasn't even a bar, there wasn't anything. It was just an, a, a little office where you could buy a can of Coke. It was smoky. You walked in, but I just loved it, the atmosphere. Did he get it? Did he see instantaneously? Did he go, hello? Yes. Your father? Yeah. Very quickly? Yeah. yeah. When I started moving to the full-size table, playing junior tournaments around Scotland as a 13-year-old, mm. my dad was telling everyone who would listen that I was going to be world champion. Right. Um, he'd obviously seen his father play. Um, he, he was a snooker player. Maybe didn't watch it all the time on TV, but he was a snooker player. And, and he, he, he would tell everyone. Um, and I just got, I just got better really quickly. I just learned really quick. I learned the shots. I could watch it on TV and I could play it mm -hmm. without thinking, how did he play it? Or like, you know, I needed to play it for a, a day. I could just play the shot. It was just something that I could do. Um, and every time I played, because obviously in those days I, I was young. I mean, these yeah. days people are starting at four, five, six years old. It's ridiculous right. ages playing are they? really early. Yeah, in, right. in China especially, they're starting very, very young. Ding Jiawei, I think, started at six. Right. Um, but in those days, I was playing in places where I wasn't even allowed to be, like local leagues, British Legion clubs, where I had to sort of smuggled in, play my two frames and smuggled out again. Um, so I was constantly amongst older people, better players. Um, and I always think you you learn from losing. You don't really learn from winning. You, you learn a little bit about yourself yeah, if you're a winner I think or that's not. Right. Yeah. But you learn from defeats and mistakes. And, not and, too many, and, but enough to be able to give you the diversity, yeah. ability to be able to overcome adversity. Yeah. yeah, if you get beat all the time, you're just going to be disheartened losing, and right? you're just going to think, yeah, yeah, I, I can't do this. But I was losing, but I was learning and competing. Um, later on, I did a tour um, with Steve Davis just before I turned pro um, that my manager set up with Barry. And, um, and it was six nights with Steve Davis, who was right. the benchmark. And he beat you every night. He took me apart yeah. every yeah. night. Absolutely took me apart. But after I thought, oh, he's a benchmark. All the other players are not as good as him. Yeah. You know, I don't need to be, improve that much to beat that to, to 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 beat them. I know what I've got to do now to get to him. How does Ian Doyle get himself into a position of influence with you? You've got your father in the background that that had his father be a snooker player. Mm. Um, he's already uh, seen that there's a significant potential in you, as encouraging that. Where does Ian Doyle come into your world to gain instantaneous credibility? An influence. What was it about him that suddenly gained and garnered influence over you? He had um, he had an ironmongery business, right. um, quite quite a, quite a decent business. He was quite a wealthy man. Um, he owned a snooker club. That's where he first seen me play. Right. Um, but I think he wanted to get in. I think he was a snooker fan and wanted to get in, and he's maybe seen me as a way in 
to get involved in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I my dad wouldn't have been able to financially support me yeah. as a professional, um, pay for all the everything, the, the going on the road, staying in hotels, um, traveling, entry fees, all that sort of stuff. Um, as an amateur, there wasn't really a lot of financial stuff needed. But even then, yeah. if we went down from Scotland to playing a pro am in Essex. We had to get the train down to to King's Cross, stay at some shithole in King's Cross because my dad really couldn't afford. We couldn't mm. stay in a nice place. Playing, go to Essex, playing, invariably get beat because I wasn't very good in proms when I travelled down south right. and go all the way back. So it was it was tough, um, and I think it would be unhealthy as well for our relationship because to be in each other's pockets yeah. all the time. So Ian sort of seen a way of sort of structuring it where he wanted me to stay in the same hotels as likes of Steve Davis. Right, he said if you're going to feel like them. Yep. You've got to stay where they are. You've got to feel... Um, so he was taking care of all that and all he expected from me to work my nuts yeah. off. Where does the mindset start kicking in? Does it simply come from having this positive influence in your life in Ian Doyle alongside a father that wanted to support you then that starts to build the belief system up? Or did you have it there already? I don't... I, it's very, very difficult question, actually, because I, I actually don't, I've not got a clue where it comes from because there was no... There was no sort of sporting background. Again, whether my father's father had that... Yeah killer instinct or not, I, I don't know but I could see my game improving yeah, so the I benefits. could feel it I could feel it I could feel like my cue ball control I could feel more more often than not I was clearing the table um, and then my first tournament I won the Scottish Professional Championship in my first attempt and I thought yeah this is and then, then I started to think well this is this is what I have to do and then I, mm. I, that gave me the appetite to keep doing it because um, I seen I started to see the benefits but in terms of having that steel to win over and over and over again. I, I, I truly don't know where it came from. I think I think I enjoyed winning. Yeah. Um. I think I enjoyed being. Uh. I've always, I always enjoyed being the target, being the guy that everyone wants to beat. I, I mean, I loved being the best player in the world. It's the best. You know, I've seen some players get to world number one and then shrink because they don't like being the target. They don't like. They want. They rather be the underdog. Whereas I, I was always wanted to be the best. Um. So, whether it's just when I got there, I just. I. It's. It, it's. Someone said, "What's the ingredient?" It's very difficult to put. Were you a very strong character? Um, I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't say so. No, 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 not in other walks of life. I wouldn't say so. Um, because he's reached. I mean, Ian Doyle. Um, I mean, there's observations that are made, um, and they're and they're sort of f- uh, top-down observations about whether he took away certain aspects of your character and maybe made you a little bit boring. Hmm. And. He reached into your personal life and mm-hmm. asked you to break up with your girlfriend. Yeah, what are these accurate uh, assertions, or are they the stuff of myth? I mean, pretty much. I mean, there was. I mean, there was. There was times when you know, it, it, I wasn't. You know, I was never allowed to to be sort of mixed with players. There were. There was. A, there was. I wouldn't say there's a huge drinking culture in, in snooker and those, but oh. All the top players are a lot older than me, mm. so they obviously were allowed to drink and 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 socialise and go for dinner, and and I was never allowed to do, be anywhere near that. It was just me, Ian, and my dad at, at tournaments, yeah. and, and maybe the guy that drove drove me around. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, I, I, I was sort of kept kept apart from from all that, kept apart from any sort of distractions, and in a way, he copied. He was copying the sort of. Say he, I mean, both of us really. We looked at Steve Davis was that was the yeah. man we had to topple, right? And his regime, along with Barry, it was just like it was it was them against the world. Well, yeah. it was Ian and I against the the world, and it was just like we'll go down this road. Um, but I had to adhere to pretty much everything um, that that he said, and that that was 
that was his whole instructions. He said, if you don't like it, you know, you can go off and, and do what you want. Do something else, yeah. Less meaningful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or you can go and play snooker just what you were doing before and see where it gets you. Um, but he says, you you basically say you're, you you won't. He, I mean, there's obviously a little bit of guilt in it. He said, he, he basically said a lot of the time that I wouldn't make it without him. Yeah. Without his guidance. Right. My dad never believed that. Oh, yeah. My dad always thought I'd be world champion. Right. Whether I do, my dad didn't think I needed to practice this this regime that he right. had put in, um, he he didn't think I needed it. He, right. a, he thought my talent was enough. But who was right? Ian. Ian, Ian was right. right. Yeah, yeah. I, I would never achieve it without without that work ethic. I could never have because I just wouldn't have had that discipline. In your overall assessment, I'm assuming that that the answer is yes, but I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Force for good, Ian, in everything that you achieved in in snooker. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the positives outweigh the the the, the negatives um, by by a long way. There was a lot of negatives. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Such as time, what? there was times when I when I when I hated him. I mean, yeah. the, the way the way he would talk to me, the way he would think he ran my life and 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 stuff. And as you get older and become a man, you start to go against that. You think, well, yeah, you can't talk to me like that. There was a time during the nineties where um, Ian said to a reporter that if Labour get in, Stephen's going to leave Scotland. But this <laughs> right. had nothing. Okay. I got so much stick for it. it nothing to do right. with me. It was in the front page of the Sun, uh, the Daily Record, which is obviously a, a, a Labour newspaper. And then, so the mad dad was furious. He yeah. put, he did an article in the Sun the next day, saying this is it was nothing to do with Stephen and stuff. So they they clashed on a lot of things. Ian was he, he he liked the sound of his own voice, and he liked to be my mouthpiece and and, right. and say the thing, and that would um, rub sort my of Sven Garley influence time. over you to some extent. Yeah, yeah, he, he enjoyed being being that 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 character. At which point is a tipping point changed because you're, you're in nineteen ninety. You you become a world champion, right? Mm. Twenty one years of age, youngest ever world champion, which is a remarkable achievement. I know Higgins won it at twenty three, Davis at twenty three, Ronnie O'Sullivan mm. at twenty six, but twenty one years so of that's age. That's one of the records Ronnie can't beat. This is it, exactly <laughs> right, exactly right. Um, but at which point did that tipping point change between you being someone that was being led along, guided, put in his place, reprimanded, disciplined, told how to think, told what to do, told who he can engage with? And at what point in your career does it start to go? Well, hang on a fucking minute! I'm the world mm. champion. I'm I'm mm. now a, a sought after commodity. I know my own mind. Where did that? When did that start to change that balance? Uh, I don't think it changed until a lot later in my career, sort of late nineties. Really? Like yeah, because I, I I was as I say I was I was winning everything. I was assessed. So so if it weren't broke, you'd need to yeah, fix it. Yeah, I'd, yeah. And I'd and I'd you know as I say we we had our arguments. I mean, you would come in. An, an interval in a match, I'd be maybe four 0 down, three one down, and, and absolutely, you know, tear the shit out of me. You know, like oh, you're you're buying this fucking Versace coat for yeah. three grand, and I'm like, yeah. and then he try and tell me what shot I'd play. I said, don't. I said, you tell me what, say what you like to me. Don't ever tell me what shot to play because you ain't got a clue right. about snooker, mate. Like that that used to really rile me, but it worked. I mean, I, I mean, I presume in football's the same. Some players respond to that. Some players prefer an arm around the shoulder and say, no, you're wonderful. But I responded to that. that And yeah. and, and I think even at the end of so my career... So he knew what buttons to push with yeah, you. Know? Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I needed that kick up the backside. Um, and maybe that's why my career went downhill so so quickly at the end is because I had no one to say, you know, look at what you're doing. Did you ever feel any pressure? I mean, going into you're going into these environments and you're all of a sudden, the scale and size of what you're experiencing is becoming far more significant and the audiences as I suspect are getting bigger and the awarenesses of you getting bigger. A lot of the time in other sports, you know, the the, the, the mantra 
of young, dumb and full of the other thing often is the uh, is a sentiment of not knowing any better. Mm. Was it a case of this is just I'm, I'm not phased by this. I'm not aware of this. I'm, I'm in my own little worlds. None of this phases me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and, and the impetuosity of youth or the naivety of youth comes to play. I always played my best snooker, even as a junior, when there was a big crowd, the bigger right. the occasion. Um, I didn't enjoy playing. Um, Ian, when I, before term pre, would set up some money matches in clubs with, with, with other sort of top Scottish players and there wouldn't be many people watching and I couldn't get up for it. And I never, I, I couldn't, it's one thing I've never been able to do is play for my own cash. Some players can do it. I'm right. not a natural gambler. I don't have that instinct. So right. if, it's, if it's money coming in my pocket, I don't like it. Okay. I don't mind playing That's for a Scottish half a, mentality, I, isn't it? Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I don't mind playing for 250 grand first prize of the world, yeah. but I don't even think about the money. Right. Or winning 147 grand for maximum. I didn't think about the money. Interesting psychology. But if you'd say, all right, someone, players would say, when you play for 100 quid, I went, no, no. Play for hundred quid. Part of it was because I'm not going to play any different, so I think what's the point? But I just didn't like playing for for money. But all through my career, going back to what we're saying, I always played my best and the biggest the biggest occasion. Mm -hmm. So going to the Masters for the first time as I can't remember if it was eighteen or nineteen, two and a half thousand people in the Wembley Conference Centre didn't phase me one iota. I just I just it, I, I just I've always been natural. I've always just been been able to do it. It's it's. Um, as again, again, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where that that sort of inner, sort of calm and confidence to to completely block out what's there and just. I mean, it's one one of the reasons why I call I call my autobiography "Me in the Table" because that's invariably what it is all the time. It's just me in the table. It doesn't matter what was out anywhere else. A plug there. Sorry for my book. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Um, You've had an interesting relationship and rapport with Jimmy White over the years. Mm. Um, and obviously, there was this early stage in your career where you played Jimmy White in a tournament. He's your hero. Mm. Um, and you go out and get beat 5-1. And I think yeah. Doyle gives you five, a barracking. 5-0, I think it was. 5-0 yeah. gives you a barracking. Yeah. What, what was going on in your head there? I mean, I've had experiences in my life, and not, they're not relatable like this. But I remember years and years ago when I was trying to build a business, a business that I went on to sell for quite a lot of money. And one of the guys in the industry that I was really it sort of admiring of was Sugar. And I ended up having to do a deal with Sugar. And it turned into a rather ugly conversation between me and Alan. You play your hero mm. in Jimmy White's and get beat 5-1. This was in a, a tournament called the, I forget what the sponsor was. Uh, it used to be called the Lang Supreme um, Masters, where the seven best players in the world would come up and the token Scottish professional champion would play. Yeah. So um, invariably every year, the likes of players in the past would just get absolutely humped the first round. So I'm playing. I thought, well, this is going to be different now. I'm, I'm, I'm playing. But I'm drawn against Jimmy, who, as I say, was, was my hero when I first picked up a cue. He was the one that I used to video the most, watch Why? all his shots. I just, just the flair he had, right. his, his cue action. Um, I tried to copy his cue action. I tried to copy Steve's cue action. Then it's a, when you realise you've got to have your own. But um, yeah, I just loved the way he played. I love his character. Um, yeah. uh, he was a bit. I, I've always had sort of looked and sort of been a little bit jealous of sort of the the rebels and the people who do what they want and have a good time. Where yeah. I, I'm this more disciplined, you know, yeah. by, held by a tight rope and yeah. get practicing and do that sort of stuff. Um, the first time I met him actually, or close him was in I was in the Irish Amateur Championship in Dublin. And he was over to present a prize. And I was talking to one of his friends and he came over and he said, oh, this is his friend. So this is Stephen. And I said, oh, Jimmy. So I shook his hand like, couldn't believe I was meeting Jimmy White. And then Jimmy White said, come on, we're going out. And he said, well, I'm just chatting to Stephen. Jimmy went, fuck Stephen. Well, let's go out. And like a little thing in me, I think, 
Oh, all right. <laughs> they say never meet your heroes. Are going to disappoint yeah. you. Well, fuck yeah. Steven. Come on, let's go out. <laughs> but um, but that that match, right? So there's two times my dad's my dad never got angry at me, never shouted at me anything. I see I've seen junior leagues where parents are, oh, it's, it's just embarrassing. Two times, one when I was playing a junior tournament, I was getting beat and I was sat with my head down and always he was standing beside me. He just said, "Get your head up." So that was that was the only time he ever. And then that time when I lost, right. Ian and my dad both said, "You're a disgrace tonight," because all I did was sit and was in awe of Jimmy. Right. All I did was sit and admire him. I think I can't believe I'm playing Jimmy White in this, and I didn't wasn't in the match focused anything. But that was that was that was a well, that was, was that a watershed moment for you. Was that yeah? Uh, oh yeah, God, not, yeah. that's not happening again. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that again. I'm I'm in this place now because I deserve to be here. Yeah. So with that in mind, I'm gonna. If someone's gonna beat me, they're gonna beat me. Yeah, exactly. He, he might beat me the next ten times we play, but I'm not gonna sit there and just admire. I'm because I was I was kind of in a trance. I was just following him around around the table with my eyes, and then if he missed, I was I'm still like yeah. It was it was embarrassing when I look back on it, and um and quite rightly I got bollocked for it. You presided over a period of time, not just. One of these moments where you you're dominant for a, a, a year or eighteen months, you were a dominant force in snooker for a decade. Mm. Right? You win five world titles in a row. You've got the longest run of wins in the Crucible history. Mm. You are the number one in the sport for eight consecutive seasons. This is a remarkable mentality that you must have had. I, I think one of the one of the there's there's a probably a few factors i think one of the factors is that i was certainly i was greedy i like enjoyed winning when i started right. winning i wanted to win more um that one of the reasons because i didn't get too emotionally involved in a in a defeat or a win right even less for a win you never ever seen me cry or go like crazy or, or look yeah. like you know um because it, for me that was job done and yeah. the next day wins the next was expected one of Where, where's the next one yeah. um because Roger Federer was like that. He was like that. He yeah. was basically, not to use the Roger Kippering expression too easily, but you treat both imposters the same way. You win, you get on with it. You lose, you get on with mm. it. And you go to the next one and make sure you win the next time yeah. round. I mean, the, the, the sort of, the, the intensity of the emotion of losing is far more intense than the, the one of winning. Um, you know, you, 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 I remember loads of shots that, that have cost me titles more than ones that I've won. Right. Because that, that, that stayed with me more. And that was more an, an intense an emotion. Um, when I won, it was just like, okay, that's my job to come here and win this. That's not, I'm not going to start crying and, 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 you know, I give a fist, but I kind of even give a fist because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't it was really like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I just yeah. thought, well, maybe I should show some emotion. Because in the end, people were thinking, you show no emotion. And I think that's one of my, was one of my attributes because yeah. I didn't get really that involved in yeah. victories. Yeah. Because I think if you do, then it takes you a while to get back to the next one. You think you'd, yeah. you know, I've seen so many players that win one tournament and they disappear for six months because mm -hmm. they've just they've won it and that's like oh my god i've won yeah. a tournament and then i've climbed my Everest, yeah yeah but to me it was always you know where where where, where where's where's the next one really and 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 then i had this i just took for granted winning basically yeah. i had this i knew i was the best yeah which obviously helps i just knew i was the best and i knew if i played my best no one could live with me um and no matter who they were, I mean, even through, all, all through the nineties, um, I just, you know, this, the the famous story I put in my book. I mean, one before I went down to one world championship, I, I asked my ex wife to bring a jacket down for me for the final party before it even started. <laughs> yeah, and I was a serious. I was, right. it was matter of fact, just yeah. like, can you bring that down with you? 
And it was just like, and people say like, how could you, but, and it wasn't like being them. But you didn't make that public knowledge, did you? Oh, no, 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 it's high. No, 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 no. no, no. It's no. High. The, the one slip I had was, because I've never, ever even said, oh, I'm going to win the World Championship. Or The one slip I had, I lost in the Irish Masters, which was always a traditional tournament before the World Championship, two, three weeks before. Yep. And I lost this bad match. And this, the reporters were asking me in the press conference, oh, you play by that. And I, and, I, and I just went, I went, yeah, but I win the World Championship. And one of them picked up, they went, what? Would you, because they never heard me say something like, mm. I, I did but I, I didn't I, it just and that's the only time I've really said anything that because I hate people that say they're going to do it because you can only get fall down from it mm. there's no point in saying you're going to because the only there's only, only only down there's only one negative this um this 1990 win to win the first world championship you'd won tournaments before mm. but was it like a coming out party for you was it like yeah here it is now here I am this is it look around I'm here now yeah, I'd won, I'd won my first major tournament. Did it Roth change things for you, I suppose I'm yeah. saying? the Rothmans Grand Prix was my first major win when I was 18. I think I was 87. Or eight, um, and that was the first time I'd beaten Steve Davis in yeah. a major tournament. Was and that a benchmark for you? For me, that was a turning point. Yeah. That was for me because he'd beaten me some like 15 or 16 times. In a Did row. you like him as a bloke? I didn't know him. I mean, nobody knew him. He didn't let anyone in. So I didn't, I'd, I'd sort of, if we travelled maybe to Hong Kong, we'd be, be on a plane and you'd maybe say hello, but he wouldn't say, he, he didn't socialise with anybody. And that was another thing that sort of Ian and I copied. I, didn't, I was kept away right. from that, that side of it. Because I think that's right, if you're, especially an individual sport, if you're competing against someone, you don't want to be their best mate. It's no, like, I think that's right. It's not, I mean, now you look at, I look at snooker now, Ronnie doesn't really socialise with any other players. Um, Judd, doesn't really um, these are these are the best players at the moment mm -hmm. um neil robertson doesn't really a little bit um they socialize more than they used to they talk backstage before they even walk on and i'm like what are you doing can't you know i'm like you know i'm some of some of i hear roy Keane talking sometimes when he's seen people being friendly in the tunnel before they go out and he's fuming and i'm the same oh i agree the camera goes on I two agree. players before they go out and like selby's the worst he's like goes up to his opponent and he's chatting and joking i just like I turn, I turn and walk away. So, I think that's. Um, but Steve was like that. I mean, I'd walk down a corridor and you wouldn't even get a look. Never mind a yeah. hello. So I didn't know him at all. No, I obviously know him a lot. We get on great now. But, um, but yeah, then no, he was. No, but I think that's the right attitude. But Again, because when you played him, you were like intimidated. Well, you were in a battle. Because you know right? nothing about him. So. But you also, you were in a battle. Mm. You know, for me, as when I was known of a football club, I didn't want to shake hands with the other side. I didn't want to go in a ballroom and drink their fucking chardonnay and and spend time talking to them about mm. whatever else. I wanted to go in there, beat their team, yeah. win three points and piss off back down the motorway. And mm. it was competitive for me. Mm. And I think it must have been, obviously for you guys as sportsmen, mm. I, I, it, it really does boil my proverbial when I'm watching players on the football field yeah. swapping shirts and swapping pleasantries. And, <laughs> and I think Keane is absolutely right. The reason I ask you about did you get on with Davis because one of the things that I picked up on uh, when I was looking at you and trying to get some information about you was the way that you might have been received coming into the sport and how these people behave with you, mm -hmm. you know, because they're big characters. Higgins, in for particular case in point, yes. where he's playing you in a match, he's being very difficult and tricky with you and mm. kind of bullying you, yet he's talking into the media after the game yeah, yeah, in a yeah. very different fashion. Yeah. So I kind of, when you first arrive on the scene and probably putting a few people's noses out of joint, mm. winning a world championship at 21 years of age. What was the overriding reception like? What were the top players like towards you? Um, I don't think, I think Steve was fine because he still believed, even when I won the world title the first yeah. time, he, he was still number one. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry, it wasn't because I'd got to number one in the semi-final by beating John Parrott. Um, that was one of the reasons I was so comfortable in the final because I was world number one as well. But um, Steve didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have felt anything. But I think, 
a, a few of them would have, especially were sort of 18 and 19. I mean, there's a few of them grumbled when I turned pro. I was too young. They said that, you know, I should never turn pro then. And, and, and it's none of their um, business, I was, is it? I was, well, it's not. But they, they, they said, oh, he's going to take too many beatings and he's going to be disheartened in his life. Right. Okay. Um, but, um, but Higgins was, when I turned pro, Higgins was unbelievable to me. I mean, every tournament, he's like, come and practice. Was it? Whether, whether, whether you could see something in me that he yeah. liked. Um, I used to practice him almost every tournament. So I'd come and see him, let's have a session, have a session. Because you'd been a very different personality, though, wouldn't you? Me. To uh, him. Oh my god! Well, yeah. I wouldn't say boot yeah. anybody. I, I was so I was so, so shy. I still I still am pretty much, but I, I wouldn't say hello. I wouldn't say I would say hello, but I wouldn't have a conversation because they were, these were all my heroes yeah. and stuff. So I'd be too embarrassed. But I mean, he would say, "So the only say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come and have a game," and that's it. We wouldn't chat. We'd be playing, and it'd be amazing to to play with someone like Alex Higgins, and he's like, it, it was incredible, and then. You know, we kept this kept on going. Then, then, then I won, started winning tournaments, and then I became the enemy. Now you're a rival, yeah. Yeah, I became yeah. the enemy. So it was like the sort of reincarnation of Steve. Obviously, had this battle with Steve through the eighties yeah. where they hated each other, um, and 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 then now now it was me, and it was always, you know, when I won won a couple of tournaments, it was all right. But then I started being a regular winner, and um, yeah, it 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 wasn't it wasn't good, um, and he's, you know, he I, I back to what I said, he made snooker. Snooker wouldn't be what it is today without Alex Higgins he transformed it um, and it's one reason it was so important I went I went to his funeral in Belfast but yeah I mean we had, we had some some run-ins because he's when he had a drink he wasn't a nice character yeah he was he was you know he, he, I mean I've never seen anyone turn the atmosphere in a room as quickly as when <laughs> Alex would walk in right. um, and you know the 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 thing you're referring to when he, the, the last time I played him last time I beat him in the UK championship um yeah, it was, I mean, the, to, to lead up to it, we're playing a qualifier. So there's eight tables. It's not on TV. There's eight tables. There's four. There's four. There's a corridor down the middle. So there's four tables this side, four tables this side. So he, he walks in in the morning, the morning session, first went to shake hands with the devil. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. you always wonder what mood he's going to be in. And I'm like, okay, great. This is going to be a long day. <laughs> I better win this quickly and try and get. So I think I'm 6 2 ahead of the, win this quickly. the, 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 after, the, the first session. So the evening session comes. So Steve's at this table. I'm at this table. So Steve's doing what he does, just basically standing like that. Just not even. That's what Steve did. Just stood like a statue. I'm standing <laughs> pretty much the same thing, but just no. Alex comes around the corner and he sort of staggers around. You think, oh no. He goes up to Steve. And I'm in earshot. And he says, "I'm going to fuck him tonight, Steve." <laughs> so Steve just going to like, like, just goes like that with his eye. Doesn't doesn't do much. Just like doesn't even move his head. He just goes like that. He knows he's seen enough of that. So we go in and and I beat him nine two. Quickly, and he shakes my hand uh, and he says, "Up your ass, you." <laughs> so he's a poet as well, then. Yeah. And I'm saying, "Oh God, like so." So I go and tell my manager Ian and everything. What was your reaction to that? Did you just go? I was. I was just whatever. I, I, yeah, yeah no, but I was a bit like you're a wee bit scared. You're a wee bit yeah. like this is a bit, you know. Yeah, it's not it's, nice, yeah. you know. Why, you know, you're like I'm, I, you just shake and you sort of like, mm, and then want to get out there. And I said, so I went and I took, told Ian and and John the guys to drive in, and Ian being Ian, he wanted to like, ah, oh, this is this is a disgrace. It's yeah. a disgrace. I'm going to tell. So he went and told the press. So that's when Alex did his press conference. So there's been reports that you were abusive to Stephen, and he said, no, all I said was well done. You're a bit lucky. That's, that's pretty much Alex. Ronnie O'Sullivan. I mean, obviously, you two have got a rivalry in some mm -hmm. shape or form. You played one another a number of times. He's mm -hmm. got the he's got the 
the the the numbers on his side yeah. against you. Yeah. But I suspect that's because at the timing of your careers, would that be different if you if you were playing one another in your pomp? Mm. Would the records be different? Do you think? Um, I mean, 1992, Ronnie, John Higgins, and Mark Williams came on the scene as yeah. three outstanding talents. Yeah. Um, Ronnie, the most talented of the three. Each each of them has their own thing that makes them better than the other two. But Ronnie's uh, is is obviously the outstanding talent um, that the game's ever seen. Um, you know, people talk about like the Alex Higgins, Jimmy Way, but Ronnie's always different class to, to both of them um, than the game's ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's, he's just well, including uh, you. Yeah, I'm, I think. Why'd you say that? I can I could play all the shot I could play all the shots. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's 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 now. Even I forget how good I was. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I might look back on some of this stuff because you you go through TikTok, and I'm seeing, funny enough, popping up now is Alex Higgins a lot in my TikTok reels and like some of the shots. You think, wow, he's a genius. Yeah. He wouldn't he wouldn't live in today's game because he didn't score heavily enough. Yeah. didn't make enough big breaks. Right. Um, whereas I I I I, I did take that. Game. I, I was a very heavy scorer at, at all times, and I think look, Ronnie Ronnie has taken the game to a better level than I did. There's no doubt about it, but I, I would still Is that find... because the game's changed and lent itself to that and the disciplines are different, or is it simply because he's unique? I think he's, I think he's unique. First of all, he's a winner. He's, yeah. he's, he's a, uh, and he'll do anything that's required on the table to win. Um, he'll adapt, he's, a bit, he's the best I've ever seen at adapting to conditions, opponents, um, and the fact he, he, he wouldn't really do anything to win. When, when he won the World Championship, the COVID one, there was no crowds. Yeah. Mark Selby was going to beat him in that semi-final. Ronnie decided to just start hitting the balls 100 mile an hour over the table. It done Mark's head in and Ronnie went on a win. So he's prepared to do to go to any level to win. How does that fly in the face then of him quitting against you in 2006? Is that just a different Ronnie on an evolutionary curve that's learning his trade and going to build the character that we now say will win at all costs, yet he's not playing well against you in 2006 and walks off the table? Yeah, I mean, I think you know we we spoke about. I mean, I had I had him on my my YouTube channel. Um, another plug, um, and and we we spoke about. And, and he, is it and, a good YouTube channel? Uh, that's amazing. Fantastic. It's doing very well. Thank you. Um, but he spoke. He he had things going on in his life that. Um, I mean, he's you know, but it's well documented. He's not at the easiest yep. up, upbringing. I think he had things yep. going on that wasn't helping him. You know, I I go back to you know players being you know you you cannot play top sport if you've got things. No, on, I on agree. Mind. If yeah. you've got things in the background, you may yeah. you just forget it's it. It's a distraction. And especially, you need to be especially, in, especially in individual sports, yeah. even more so. An individual yeah. that, that requires 100% concentration and focus on, on what you're doing because it's so... I mean, you're dealing in play and you're dealing in fractions. You're dealing in millimetres when it comes to positional mm-hmm. play. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that together with not playing well and losing for it and, and you know... That he obviously he he quit. I mean, it was most one of the most random things I've ever ever seen in my career. But um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be quick to to criticize him for or or be hard on because, you know, as I say, I don't know what was going on in his in his life at that time. When you analyze the rivalry, because it's a natural comparison, mm. not just because I want to bring you, you're a man in your own right. You don't need me to uh, dovetail you with someone else, but because he's just recently eclipsed. Mm. Some of the records that you've got in terms of, um, uh, or equaled the world championship and superseded you on the amount of um, triple crown wins. Yeah. Right. So with that in mind, how would you, when you look at the competitive rivalry that you've got on a personal and competitive level, how would you, how would you summarise it? Well, I mean, I wasn't happy when he equaled my seven. I mean, right. you know, I mean, it's, people asked me before, and I said, no, I don't want. Of course, I don't want him to equal my record. It was, yeah. it was my record, and it was one of the ones that, throughout my career, Steve had won six, and I wanted to win seven. Um, and I said, because when when I was talking to Ronnie on the, on the thing, and I said, um, surely you must now, it's all about winning eight, right? 
Because when I won six equals Steve, the next day I said, I have to win seven. What's the point? I have to win really? seven. So yeah. I said, it says, surely that's how, and Ronnie being Ronnie, he deflected it a little bit and didn't want to admit, but I know he does. I know he wants to win, win eight. Um, and then he, then he will be the goal, obviously, yeah. if he wins eight. Um, so yeah, but we've had this, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's obviously started in 92. We've had so many great matches, so many um, matches when it's been like end to end stuff, you know, hundred break, hundred break, hundred break. Um, but definitely near near the end of my career, he 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 had he had the better of me. But my the last time I think I played my best snooker was the match two thousand two when he when he, he he mouthed off to the press before we were going to play that he was going right. to send me back to Scotland, my sad little life, and right. um, and it was so funny because the more where did that, that come from? It was he'd been mucking around with Nassim Hamid and his brothers right. in Sheffield, so I think they'd okay. been trying Getting to get away himself, build yeah. it up to be like kind of a boxing match type thing. Right. Um, so yeah, my my the guy used to drive me around the morning of that match. He brought the news. Have you seen what Ronnie said? Because I had no inkling. So I'm reading a thing, but the the what I didn't care about the send me back to my sad little life stuff. Right. I mean that was just like. But he said that he said I've never liked Stephen. <clears throat> and right. I said the only reason I speak to him is because I think I have to. Right. So I thought, well, okay, if you don't like me, I'm going to not speak to you then. Okay. And it was the only grudge match I think I've ever played in my career, and, mm. and there was no way I was losing that match, um, or no, I was, or I was. You're going to have to scrape me off the table to beat me um, and that's probably the last time I played great and after that I think he beat me every time I think um, if he does eclipse it and get eight what will your overriding reaction um, be there'll be admiration yeah because as I say he's taking the game to a new level and yep. I think his longevity is phenomenal this decline I mean uh, in terms of the experiences that you had you know in the 98-99 season you go into was it the Masters get beat 9-0 in the first round uh, the UK Championship. UK yeah. Championship. Get beat nine in on the first round. Yeah, at the end of that season, you win the World yeah. Championship again. Yeah. Was was this nine nil defeat the beginning of of the challenge for you, or because it doesn't seem to be because you go and win a World Championship. Yeah. It's the last World Championship that you win. Yeah. And then we start to see the changing of you, don't we? Yeah. I think it was it was the nine nil wasn't it was it was, it was a, some just one of those days where I just. The guy was playing well. He was getting all the run of the balls that was going, and it got it got to three, four, and I says, I, I can't, I can't get back into this match. Just the way I'm playing, I just, and it was one of those things. But it was probably the the sort of one of the sort of first signs of sort of frailty men mentally, because I'd I'd been behind in a lot of matches. I mean, Mike Hallett in the Masters final, eight two behind him and one. I'd been behind him and got back into them, but it's probably the first signs to me that. I can't see a way back into this match. I can't get myself like to right. Um, but then something after after that season, um, an old coach that I used to have called Frank Callan, um, he came back in to sort of work with me a bit. Um, not that my game was technically gone, but maybe I just needed someone from to look in from the outside and something. Sometimes a little thing will will spark a something. tweak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the last three or four tournaments, I think I, I, I won one, got to a semi-final, then won the World Championship, which from the way the season had gone before was was incredible. I'd lost three times to Tony Drago, I'd never lost in my whole life um, in one season. Um, but yeah, it was it was the start of not feeling right. dominant, yeah. not feeling like the best player in the world. Tell me about, the. I mean, I know there's a terminology that I don't think you particularly like, right, about the condition that you developed that mm. brought about oh, yeah, the deterioration yeah, yeah. of your game. Yeah, yeah. I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terminology called yips. Yes. They use it 
in golf, which is the inability to be able to putt. They use it in darts, which Eric Bristow, I think, had, yeah. which was the inability to release the darts. Yeah. Tell, us, tell me about what it was and what your condition was that brought about um, ultimately the deterioration in your game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think probably the first time it happened would maybe be probably that season, 99, um, maybe 98. I would play a shot and I just didn't, just, it's like what happens, you're supposed to go through the ball, accelerate nicely. Right. So for some reason, this hand that, that delivers a cue tightens up yeah. and you don't go through it. And he's got, So I played a shot and I thought, Mm, that was a bit. That was weird, and I thought, mm, didn't like that. Didn't feel good. Um, you remember this specific shot? Yeah, I don't. I, I I don't remember a specific, but I remember there was a shot. There would be a shot in that season where right. that's it was round about that time where, and then I think okay, that 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 wasn't didn't feel good. And then it would happen maybe two tournaments up the road, and then it would happen maybe a couple of times. Then you, then you start to think. Then I started to avoid playing certain shots because I thought, oh, that happened. What if that happens again? And right. then you completely then your game is gone because you're not you're playing the wrong shot all the time. So it's it it yeah, it, it, it sunk deeper and deeper and deeper into my game. And I had two or three coaches that had different ways of trying to solve it. Some Terry Griffiths tried to shorten my backswing, hold the cue tighter all the time, um, to try and take any sort of anything out of it. If you're gripping the cue the same way the whole time, then you can't tighten, kind of thing. Uh I got to number one. Uh, back to number one, doing that, um, winning tournaments, but then it was still happening. Another coach I've tried, but yeah, I mean, I mean, to this day, when I play in tournaments, there's you know, there's shots that I know it's going to happen, um, and it's yeah, it's completely debilitating. But what, but what I mean is, it's physical, it's psychological. What is it? It's well, it starts physical and then becomes right. psychological. Yeah, so you're because, becoming a self yeah, self-perpetuating philosophy. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, for instance, my last tournament I played in a couple of weeks ago, just a qualifier. I, I I played a shot and then knew I was going to be on this red in a certain way that I couldn't pot it and I missed it. So that that that's psychological. But that's psychological. That's, that's psychological. Yeah. But that's how that's how sort of deep it sunk in. And and everyone said to me, "Why are you thinking like that? Just play." And when I'm on my own playing, yeah, I don't I don't I don't do it. So it's almost it's almost become like uh so, so like when a stage fright kind of thing, right? Because when I'm on my own playing, like I'll say, because people, when you go to tournaments, people say, how are you playing? I don't practice anywhere near as much as I should, yeah. even to play as a wild card. But when I do my own, I go around and I just I just play and it's easy and I do everything and it's and it's and I never miss a ball. And then I go to, as soon as I go in, in front, I have to prove myself in front of anyone, it goes. Um, and, and there's nothing, and no sports psychology has worked, or tr I mean, I'm assuming they have tried to work with you. Well, yeah, I, I, I've not gone in deep into it. Really? Um, I, 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 perhaps I should have done. Um, you know, lots of people said you should have asked Steve Peters if he worked with you. I don't think right. he'd work with anyone else if he's worked with Ron anyway. But someone to try and sort this out. Um, I had one guy called Chris Henry who who's kind of does a bit of both technical and like, um, and he's asked me to try and watch old videos of myself yep. winning and and just look at my cue action, look at. But I, <laughs> I just said to him, I said, but all that does to me is tell me how shit I am now. <laughs> <laughs> it I took it completely help. the it, wrong way. It makes it worse. Yeah, he says yeah. that's not how you're supposed to take that. So you're supposed to look at it and say that's how you can play, and that's how you you, you do play. But I took it the other way. I say, yeah, look how far I've sunk. You're, you're still a young man then, and you're 31 then, aren't you? 32. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it, it, without wanting to diagnose something that you've experienced, and obviously it's real because if it manifests itself 
in your, in you, it's real. When it manifests mm. itself in Eric Bristow in darts and whoever else mm. in golf, um, it's real. But it f it feels like a psychological block. That's I mean, I always I was I always live by the mantras like the amateur golfer and the professional golfer on the 18th tee with a water hazard in front of them, and the amateur golfer says, "Don't hit the water, don't hit the water." And the professional golfer says, "Hit the green, hit the green." Mm. You hit what you see. Yeah. But something something's changed in your psyche yeah. and the wiring of the way that you think about things that you've not. Yeah, been able to overcome, but you can, because when you're doing it without people watching yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have and you, you're hitting the ball as you always did. I know because I know, when I play, there's a guy that, that that's that's sort of coaching me um, at the moment, um, not to be coached to come back and win, but just to, um, uh, he's he's got a method called sight right. And Mark Williams, um, he was using it. He came back and won four tournaments, including the World Championship. He said, just have have a go with him. Just like see if he can, you know. For in, for an interest, so I went with him just to give me something of an interest to practice. And we were together in a room. He he still thinks I can win the world championship because of the way I play on my right. own in a room. Right. But as soon as I get out in a match against, I said people who shouldn't be on the same table as me. It just you know I'm, I'm losing every match because someone quoted on Instagram the other day why is why is Stephen doing this to himself like playing these wild card matches and and in a way I agree, but in the way I just think. Maybe one match, it might, uh, you know, might click. It might click. Yeah. Um, How debilitating was it for you? Oh, I mean, hugely. You, you hugely. have to be set. You're going to have to be set. I mean, James Wade, the dart player, talked about having panic attacks on the hockey and holding himself together. And I've been in that situation where I've been on a major television show having panic because I used to have panic attacks, mm. having a panic attack, thinking, please, please don't come to me. And the problem for me is I was the most trappiest person on the panel, so they always came to me. But, but with you, you've got to sit there in a game where you're no longer dominating the base, you're sitting there watching players that you don't, you know in the back of your mind, mm. shouldn't be carrying your cue. Mm. Um, and you're sat there for, for significant... I mean, what kind of effect does that have on you I, as I, an individual? I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just... You just sink lower and lower into your chair. And and, and into that, you know, you, you absolutely rip yourself to pieces in your head as well. And yeah, I mean, I, I would just, you know call myself every name under the sun you know you're useless you can't really look at you what was that what sort of shot was that you know and i'm watching these players who i say couldn't lace my boots playing the shots that i can't play someone who's ranked like 70 in the world yeah and i think i can't even play that shot that he's just played and it's like yeah and it's and and, and, it, and it, as i say and, and i never i never sorted it so all right and that's you know the main reason i retired is because i just couldn't i had no confidence yeah so, you know, my game was shot, basically. It's a remarkable transformation, isn't it? From ultimate confidence to being bereft of confidence, mm. almost. Like, I made a 147 in my last World Championship. Yeah. And it's like, out of 36 shots you play, I hit six properly. Yeah. But people come in, oh, right. my God, you're, you're back. You won a 147, you win this. It was unbelievable. I said, but you don't realize how shit how that a, was. Yeah, how much of a struggle it was for me. Yeah, it was horrible. You know, or how good I must be yeah. to have even done it in the basis of not being able to hit the ball the way I want to. I know. Well, that, what That's I the other say, side of the argument, isn't it? What I say to Steve Feeney, the, the coach guy, I says, look, I, I, hate, I hate having to try hard at this game. Yeah. I never used to have to try hard. It was easy. And, and now, you know, when I play, it's like, oh my God, God, every shot's like a pint of blood. It's like... Do you miss, do you miss playing at the level you played... Oh do you miss God, the yeah. competitivity? Yeah. Are you at peace with the journey that you've been on? Because your your achievements are remarkable. And I've said mm. it four or five times. And I'm not again, I'm not saying it because you're sat across me, but if you dominate a sport for ten years in the manner that you did and achieve the things that you achieved, then there is some body of work there that you must be able to gain some peace from, irrespective mm. of whether you think it came to an end. 
slightly precipitously. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost feels like a different, almost a different person that it did that, or right. a different life. Um, but of, of course, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm completely proud of what I achieved. I mean, I, I achieved in, in, incredible things, and and to be fair, I didn't, I didn't even realise how you know how good i was until i was doing my book three or four years ago because i had to research all the tournaments i played and everything i was watching it on youtube mm-hmm. and i thought you know fuck me you were good mm. <laughs> you know what i mean i know I, I, I had all the shots that every everyone had but I just you know but now looking back it's some so long ago um what's what's the 90s now 30 years ago it's just, it's, 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 it's incredible um but yeah it's it's um i miss i miss obviously i work for tv and you're in the you're in the arena before a final yeah talking to the host you've got a microphone in your hand i'd much rather have a cue in my hand that's what you miss mm. you miss the buzz of of playing an arena um you know being at the crucible in the final session that's what you miss you don't i don't miss playing six hours a day five six seven days a week i don't i don't miss that um at all but um but yeah i mean I, i'm so jealous every time i'm commentating as a player walking out in front of a big crowd what do you think of the state of snooker at this moment in time mm. but people you know the audience of 10 million was the the norm we're now down into territories of three and a half million mm. and there's lots of reasons for it there's more channels yeah. there's more sports uh there's more awareness um and it's a different generation consuming things in a very different way so actually some might say that three and a half million viewers is very good given the nature mm. of the amount of sport that's being broadcast on tv but what's your overall take on the state of it i think the game is in a good state because there's lots of tournaments for the players to to play and i i, I do worry about whether sponsorship will be a problem. Um, obviously, we had tobacco sponsorship, which was yeah. huge, that, that that had to go. Kazoo now sponsor quite a lot, but I, I I don't know how long how long that will last. So there is that sort of always that fear of what you know what is sponsorship going to attain itself. Um, Bar- Barry is is confident that that he will be on top of that and it'll be no problem. Right. But as I say, it's a good time to be a player. Is it um, China's opening up again? That was a huge market for snooker. Right. Um, there's now I think two tournaments this year. There'll probably be three or four next year. Um, so the worldwide game, obviously post COVID, is is recovering again. That, but I, I, there's a lot of tournaments that look a bit samey. I think that's the problem. I think with with, with the, the the low low viewing figures, a lot of ones that just they what just, can they do? Because it it does have it's, this. It's, it's, it it's does, hard. It does have this image. You know, I don't. I watched snooker when I was a kid. I don't watch it so much now. Okay, different tournaments have different levels mm. of, of 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 the amount of frames that they play. You know, whether it's mm. a, a thirty-five frame tournament in the World Championships or it's a nineteen-frame tournament in one of the yeah. other tournaments. So there's a slight different in format, yeah. but it hasn't really changed in that much. I, okay, yeah. I used to grow up watching Pop Black and stuff like mm. that, and all the other sports, with the exception of football. Football's been packaged now because of Sky, and it's got this wonderful feel about it in terms of the imagery. Mm. But a lot of the other sports, whether it be cricket or or darts yeah. have changed their formats mm. and made it more viewer centric yeah. and probably more modern for the next generation of snooker, yeah. the next generation of fans. Yeah. Do you it's, think it's, snooker needs to do that in, I, I in order I, to cut through? Yeah, I, I, I struggle to to see what you can. Snooker is a very difficult sport, I think, to make look different. I think, yeah. um, obviously, there's tournaments where there's one frame, there's a shot clock. Um, Obviously, the world champion, the world championship, the Masters, these big events stand stand apart. I think snooker's all now maybe struggling with the fact there's there's not enough stars. Yeah, um, you've got Ronnie, um, you know Judd Trump is obviously a tremendous flair player, yeah. um, but if he walked down the street outside, how many people would yeah, recognise him? Out lineup, would you? Um, so yeah, I think I think that snooker will suffers for that a little bit. But I go back to it, if you're a player, 
it's great because you've got lots of tournaments mm -hmm. and in, and pretty much all year round. Paid. Yeah. Because when we played, um, certainly early 90s, mid 90s, after the World Championship finished bank holiday in May, there was nothing till September. So the whole summer off. Whereas now it's pretty much all year round. So there's lots of events. But I think speaking to the players, they want to they be able to earn more money. They, the, the players go out, there's not enough money. Mm. Um, and well, when they see the other bleeding sports, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, they're probably... <laughs> That's probably amplified in their minds, yeah. isn't it? And I think a lot of the players they, they they can't they're pretty restricted in what they can do outside the environments of the of the tournaments because you, you sign a player's contract and you've got to stick by that. You're not allowed to do any anything else, right? Um, so it's 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 difficult for the players to sort of monetize themselves as well um, in the game. But when you when by you that say token, that, by that token, Barry took the game over um, when it, whenever he did. And the difference has been incredible. Whatever, whatever you, you say about Barry, he does know how to, to yep. sort of create yep. create a sport and create. I mean, what he's done with darts has been no remarkable. Phenomenal. I mean, myself and Barry have had many a different view. Yeah. And when he was well, the, the worrying part, I said to that Barry because Eddie doesn't like snooker. So the worrying thing, right? If Barry ever decides to totally retire and go, then Eddie hates snooker. So what's what's the future? <laughs> Don't get me started on Eddie Hill. Right. <laughs> I know he's your mate, but we'll go. We'll go there. Um, is there a a generation to follow. I mean, this should always be, but currently I can't see where it is. Is there a generation of stars that are following Ronnie O'Sullivan? How important is Ronnie to the game of snooker at this moment in time? Oh, it's hugely important. If, if he's not in a tournament, it's not the same. Isn't that a worry? And that 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 is yeah. that is a worry. I mean, that, listen, his his. I think his truly great performances are going to be fewer and farther between, between yeah. now than they were. Because but his name's he's getting still, old. He's, he's got yeah. other things doing. He's getting old. So that the fact of getting himself up to play in a tournament is going to be harder and yeah. harder. Um, on his day, he's still the best player by a mile. If he plays his best, he wins. Um, so he is the superstar of snooker. He's the only player that goes that won't go to China unless he's getting appearance money yeah. and he'll get it. No, no, As far as I know, no other players are charging appearance money. So he is the, he's the sort of lone true star in, in snooker. So that that's that's a worry. Although the other players play an unbelievable standard of snooker, the Robertsons, the Trumps, you know, the, the Williams and the Selbys, they're all unbelievable yeah. snooker players. But unfortunately, and I think they know this, he he is the one that brings mm. the sort of, there's that little bit of stardust to a tournament. Punditry, and obviously this YouTube stuff that you're going, where you're, mm. you know, you're doing your Q-tips. Yeah. You enjoy that? You get a lot from it? I love it, actually. Yeah. It's good. And uh, Davis made a joke, he said, because he said, you never used to really? speak to anyone. Right. And he said, now you're a pest. Because you want everyone to be on your channel, I and mean, you walk in a room, everyone's running away. So he wants to talk to us now. And also, we've had two or three people, obviously, that are not snooker players. Um, so in the future, you might want to come off. You can pay if you can hold a cue. You said you'd. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna not write checks that I can't cash. But I wouldn't mind having. A, I wouldn't mind having a lesson off um, you. Yeah, that's but sure. I, I'm really enjoying it. It's something yeah. that I never thought um, that I would, I would ever do. I mean, obviously, yeah. I did my. I started on Instagram doing doing instructions and doing shots and getting people to write in what shots they want to play. Um, and obviously you want to try and monetize it and go that step further to the yeah. YouTube and, and now it's going really well. Um, I enjoy the punditry. There's some matches that are more exciting than others that I don't really get involved with. I got a sort of reputation as a, a kind of pantomime villain when I came on because I was quite forthright in my right. uh, um, comments um, that the play, a lot of, some of the players didn't like. Um, well, they all, they all don't like that, don't they? In every sport, when a former player comes on, yeah. And and there's this sort of unwritten code that you're not supposed to say things about mm. players because you were once one yourself, yeah. and you would know how that felt. Yeah. But, I, but think I, I like to think my what I've done in my career 
uh, allows me to, to be yeah. critical. Of as long some... as you're fair and authentic. Exactly. Well, yeah. I, I just say, look, I say yeah. what I see. If it's a if it's a shit shot, I'll say it's shit. If it's a good shot, I'll say it's good. At the end of the day, that that's all you can do is, as 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 a commentator or a pundit, you can just say what you see and be authentic about it. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think of? Um, obviously, with the moniker that you've been given, which is the King of the Crucible, what are you? What's your reaction when you see the potential of the World Championships being moved from there? And the ideas that may be being mooted about, hmm. you know, everyone's favourite subject right now, the Middle East. Yeah. What's your take well, on that? Well, I think I think I'm right in saying that. Do you think it should be? Do you think the Crucible should be protected in the same way things like yeah. Wimbledon are protected? No yes. one would have Wimbledon in bloody Middle East, would they? I I, I do, but again, I'll be called sort of old school. Um, I spoke to Judd about it in China, and Judd Judd would like to see it in Saudi Arabia if the first prize becomes two million. Yeah. So, um, but I said, well, how would you feel about playing a world championship final in front of 20 people? Yeah. I said, it's not, I mean, surely that's not, he said, I don't, basically they don't care as long as you're getting the big, the big prize paid. money. Yeah. I would, I would hate to see, and I think even Barry, um, I think he's, he's, he's asked the council to build a new crucible with, yeah. with a bigger capacity yeah. in Sheffield. So Sheffield can keep being the, the sort of the city of snooker. As, but as even it that in it, that matter if he take, I mean, what's the, what is the capacity? Nine? 975, yeah. I think. And there's right. no atmosphere like it. Yeah. No atmosphere like it. But even it, if so. he builds it that's significantly greater, it's not going to generate the revenues that if you, the, the Middle mm. East, the Middle Eastern guys want to do something, mm. they're going to put the money behind it. And yeah. if the current players aren't interested in the tradition, and just see the opportunity, which I can understand, by the way. I'm not criticising you. The, the worrying thing I would say is we, we, we played in Dubai in the early 90s, three, I think two or three years, uh, a ranking tournament. And basically, um, it was just dropped like a stone right. when, when they weren't interested anymore. And that's, that would be my fear if suddenly, if Saudi Arabia that's took it off. and thought, well, we're bored yeah. of the snooker, don't want it anymore. Mm. Then where'd you go from there? That would be my point. fear. Two questions for you to finish off. What does the future hold for you? And when you look back over yourself in your career, how would you describe yourself? Um, well, what the hold from in the future? I, I, I don't really know. Obviously, the, the, the progression of, of obviously the, the YouTube stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I always I always wanted to have some sort of legacy in the types of, of, of you know, the, the sport's huge in China and the UK. We'll have some sort of Stephen Hendry Academy sort of thing. Stephen yeah. Hendry Snooker, whether it's, the most upmarket snooker clubs in the world, or Stephen, something like that. I always thought that would be um, pretty cool, just to have your name out there mm. as a legacy to what you've achieved. But in terms of what, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm still people still recognise me and say, you know, you're, you know, comment and you're the greatest or whatever, and that's that's cool that people remember um, how good you were. But I mean, it seems so long ago that I don't even think of myself really as a as, really? as what I did. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 quite. Um, I say I'm quite hypercritical of myself and, and the fact that, you know, I kind of sometimes think of myself as a bit of a nobody now, just a commentator, um, because it's it's so long ago. Mm. And it's not until someone sort of says something that you think, okay, oh, that's... That uh, was me. Yeah. Well, listen, I think you were at a remarkable career. And uh, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Up front with me. Thank you very much. Up Front With Me, Simon Jordan, is brought to you by William Hill. Future episodes can be found on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly.